This is a WTOP original podcast. From Podcast One. Previously on Colors. Our stories and our um, our pain has been largely discounted. Kimmy Yam, a journalist from NBC Asian America, says the media could do a better job of telling the story of Asian Americans. I feel that that has largely been what we've seen in media for decades. And Albert Shimabukuro, a WTOP desktop assistant, says there is such a thing as racism within a race. I had a friendship with uh, a Korean family and um, I met the grandfather uh, a year later and he speaks to me in Korean. I said, I'm sorry, I don't speak Korean. He asked me what my ethnicity was. and I said, I'm Japanese. And then he spits on me. Oh. He yelled at his grandkids. He goes, you never play with him again oh. because he's the one who killed our people. Coming up in this episode of Colors. We were supposed to talk to Taisha Green. She's the city of Burlington, Vermont's first director of racial equity, inclusion, and belonging. But because of the verdict in Derek Chauvin's case for the murder of George Floyd, we had to make a pivot. I'll I'll confess, my wife and I both got teary. Uh, And I don't know why, because I suspected that he was going to be found guilty on all the charges. And I'm sure if I felt that, the tears, I'm sure that you felt much the same. Am I right? Actually, no. I did not feel emotional at all about Why? that. And a part of the reason for it is because I know that this relief that you and other people feel is going to be gone tomorrow. It probably was gone yesterday. That's coming up in this episode of Colors. Simmering racial tensions. Segregation now and tomorrow and forever. Fighting injustice. I have a dream. Conflict looming. Brutality exposed. I can't breathe. I can't breathe. The search for solutions starts here. From WTOP in Washington, D.C. This is Colors, a dialogue on race in America. I'm J.J. Green, and I'm black. I'm Chris Corr, and I'm white. And this is Colors. Well, J.J., uh, we started this program almost a year ago because of the death of George Floyd in Minnesota. And um, (laughs) it all culminated in a verdict that came down um, this week. And I just, you know, I, 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 you know what, I, let, let me, I can remember, am I correct that you and I were in the same newsroom when the OJ Simpson verdict came down? We were, yes, we were working together still at WMAL here in Washington. And, and that's the last time I remember everybody standing around the television waiting to see what was going to happen. Literally in the newsroom, everyone stood up and waited. And then there was a reaction to the verdict. And then uh, I think in this case, I mean, you know, in this case, it was just my wife and me in our house, but I know my neighbors were watching and I got several texts telling me, hey, be sure you watch because the verdict is coming soon. And I, you know, uh, 
<laughs> I'll, I'll confess, my wife and I both got teary. Uh, and I don't know why, because I suspected that he was going to be found guilty on all the charges. But you never know. I also thought O.J. Simpson was going to be found guilty. So, um, you know, I've been wrong in the past. I, 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 I'm sure if I felt that, the tears, I'm sure that you felt much the same. Am I right? Actually, no. I did not feel emotional at all about Why? that. And uh, I'll get into that in a minute. But okay, I want to ask you this question. Why were sure. you emotional? Um, I think it was just a sense of relief that that justice would was 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 done. I mean, this look, I, I'll give a lot of credit. In fact, I'll give a ton, maybe all the credit to the I think she was she 17 year old girl who, who put taped this on her phone, because lacking that, I doubt that he would have been found guilty because there is, you know, that that code of brotherhood among the police officers that we protect each other. And I and I get that. I understand that. But in this case, you had police officers, both retired and active, testifying in court against a fellow cop. And you don't see that very often. But I don't know that that would have happened had there not been that videotape, but that's undeniable evidence of what took place. And then when you add to that, the physicians coming on to say, yeah, he died from a lack of oxygen caused by that guy kneeling on his neck. Um, I, I, I just, uh, I mean, she, without her JG, I don't know what that verdict would have been, but I, she, she is really what caused it to happen. She should be, she should get a lot of free dinners over at the Floyd household. Yeah. Well, I'll answer the question you asked me about whether or not I was emotional, and my answer was no. And the reason for it is because every day since the murder of George Floyd took place, I've been emotional. Every day. Mm -hmm. One way or another. Sometimes it's been anger, sometimes it's been tears, sometimes it's been ex ex exhaustion. Sometimes it's been exasperation. There, there, there have been many, many emotions that I've had since last year leading up to this verdict. So when the verdict came, I didn't have any more. I didn't have anything left huh. in the tank spent. for that. And a part of the reason for it is because I know that this relief that you and other people feel is going to be gone tomorrow. It probably was gone yesterday the day after. And a part of the reason for that was the same day that this uh, verdict was announced, there was another killing, mm -hmm. another young person of color, a girl in Columbus, Ohio. And the whole cycle started again. Did the police officer do the right thing? Could he have not shot her someplace else? Um, then there's the question about um why do police keep doing this? Then there's the question about, um, well, why don't we disband police departments and, and why don't we make it tougher for police to do this? So there was nothing for me to celebrate there, nothing for me to get excited about or feel relief from, because as I mentioned to you on previous programs, this has been my whole life. So what took place when this verdict came down was good for the family um, it was good for uh, the world and certainly this country to see that this kind of thing can happen. I won't call it justice, but I'll just call it um, that 
the man who killed another man and everybody saw it got what he was supposed to get. That's about that's about Here, here's here's the only thing I'm I'm going to tell you why I think uh, I'm going to disagree with you that this this is a little different. I'm, I'm obviously there have been other times and there will again in the future. I think do think police officers will think um, will be a lot more thoughtful before they apply, um, you know, fatal uh, remedies to whatever they're trying to deal with. Um, but here's why I think it's different. I was listening to a syndicated conservative talk radio program this morning. And, th- and I heard a conversation on that show that w- I would never have heard on a show like that before. And they were talking about racial justice and they were talking about racism. And the guy who was the host said, look, I'm not really qualified to talk about this because, you know, I'm a middle-aged white guy with a big mouth on the radio And but we do have to talk about it because there is a problem in this country. And when I heard that today, because I, you know, I knew you and I were going to talk about this. And I thought JJ is going to say, well, nothing's changed. And I'm just going to say that conversation I would never have heard on that program before today. But I think it just it 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 had reached such a point where that first of all, that's topic A. You do a talk show. You look what's everybody talking about. That's what people are talking about. But it was the opinion of the host and the opinion of the callers that was completely different from what I would have expected from a talk show like that a year ago or two years ago. Well, again, that was something that you're hearing now a day, 48 hours after this took place. Are you going to hear it tomorrow? Are you going to hear it the next day? Are you going to see anything different? Are you going to notice anything different uh, down the road a bit? Part of the reason why I'm asking that question is because what we're doing right now is an exercise that we've done before. And I'm not jaded. I'm not cynical. I'm just being realistic uh, about this situation that we're in. Um, Like I said, it's good, but I just not, you know, until I see some changes taking place. What changes? People stopping the BS. You know, people that are using this opportunity to uh, play the system, to game the system. There's lots of people out there talking about we need to do this and we need to do that and we need to change uh, the country. We need to change the justice system and change policing. The justice system, the country, police departments, companies, all of these things are run by people. And it's people's actions that make the difference. And a part of the reason why I'm saying this is because since this death of George Floyd last year, you know, we've interviewed a number of people on our program. They've come on the program and they've said all sorts of wonderful things, inspiring things. But when the mics turned off, when the interview was done and I and you have engaged with them in some cases Uh, When nobody's watching, they're different people. They're saying different things, doing different things, acting differently. So the point that I'm making is the change that needs to happen is we need to stop pretending, stop lying, stop acting for the cameras and the microphones and do the work that needs to be done to make the changes that are necessary. And I haven't seen that. And that's what I'm talking about. Well, I, and I understand your point. Um, 
I don't know that that, you know, that's not going to get accomplished in a day. And so you have to take that first step. And it, this, this whole episode starting last Memorial day through now and the verdict might be that first step. And I guess because I'm a glasses half full kind of guy, optimistic by nature, I believe that a, a big step has been taken. And I don't think that everybody's going to look at this and just go back into the, the holes where they were before. But, you know, I, I mean, I could be wrong about that. And again, uh, you know, I, you see it differently. And I understand, as you say, this has been your life. You've lived it. You're a black guy that grew up in the South. I mean, you've seen it firsthand your whole life. And I've only seen it, a lot of it through your eyes and a lot of it from, you know, just observing people and living in different places and and hearing how people talk and say things and, you know, being um, becoming more and more aware of stuff that I probably didn't see before. But if I'm getting if I'm becoming more aware of it, then I would have to think a lot of 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 America is, too. Is that not fair? It is fair. But there is something else to consider here, too, Chris. And that is there are people who are just in a different mind space than you. And I, and this isn't something that's designed to talk about people of one race or another. I'm just talking about people. I'll give you a good example. Yeah. So, some people don't, I believe, understand or care about what's happening. Some people have simply given up. I've not, I'm not giving up, but I'm just seeing things more clearly. It's, let me just say this to you. Let's be clear. In America's racial struggle, Special treatment matters. That's at the heart of some stuff that's been going on here. And let's be clear. Special treatment is not always a good thing. So, example, in the, in the, in the, in the breathless world that I, as, a, as an African-American journalist, work at the juncture of race and national security, getting any kind of advantage I can, Chris, to navigate this rocky beat is critical. But a recent experience that I had where other people were ignored so I could be served was a bridge too far. And this was the same day this week that the Brooklyn Center, uh, Center Minnesota police officer uh, who uh, killed Dante Wright was being uh, essentially arraigned. So I had stepped out to grab some lunch at a grocery store here in D.C. I went to scan an item. The machine froze. So this electronic voice came on and said, help is on the way. Several other customers had gotten that same message in the minutes before I did. The grocery store employee who was supposed to help us was engrossed in a conversation. She glanced at the blinking lights at our checkout stations and she ignored it. Finally, a few minutes later, she decided to respond and she approached me first, even though I was the last in line. And I said, they were first. She turned to me. She looked at me. She looked really through me and said, it doesn't matter, sir. So that didn't, what do you think about that? I mean, that, is she black or white? She's black, but it doesn't matter. You know, <laughs> I mean, were the people in front? I mean, there were different. You're, you're, so playing some sort of that you were being treated special because you're famous, because you're black, because what? The point that I'm making is, the people that were in line, it didn't matter what their race was. She did not go to the back of the line where she should have, the front of the line where she should have started and offered those people her help. Her help. She just started with me at the end of the line. And these people have been waiting. 
She perhaps unwittingly, in my view, reinforced that same principle that underpins the disenfranchisement of people of color and has done it for centuries in this country. Essentially, that principle says they they didn't matter. So I looked across the line at the other people who were angry, who'd called for help before I did, and I thought about the times that I, in similar situations, while customers, I was ignored while customers who came after me that looked different were served first. And this is the point that I'm making. People have not picked up what's happening here with this whole situation. A lot of people have just said, okay, wow, we have done something big here and we're on our way and, you know, let's do this. And and I don't, I don't blame them and I don't take anything away from them, but I'm just saying there are a whole bunch of people out there that still don't get it, still don't see it, and some people simply don't care. And that's a part of what this racial struggle, that's what's, that's, that's a part of what's driving this racial struggle right now is some people just don't understand why it's important to care, why it's important for things and people to matter regardless of what they look like. Yeah, I'm just going to offer, though, a little bit of a counter on this. It's very possible that woman is just bad at her job. The fact that she was, you know, talking with somebody else and ignoring all these customers who were frustrated because they were trying to check out and then went to the wrong end of the line. She just may be a bad employee. I mean, I don't care. Well, I care. I mean, that's that's a demonstration that she's not very good at her job. If she's ignoring the fact that the uh, warning light is going off, saying that there's a problem and she just keep, you know, she keeps talking to whoever she's talking to. She's well, making her priority about herself, not you guys. I'm not saying I don't care that she's a bad employee. I'm saying I don't care to use that as an excuse. And I'm saying, Chris, this is the thing. This is the thing in America's racial struggle that has been the albatross around the nation's neck. There have been police officers. There have been judicial uh, judges. There have been other people who have said who've been bad at their jobs who've said, essentially, I don't care, who've said they don't matter, who have said it doesn't matter, sir. This is the thing I'm trying to get at. Maybe it's too metaphorical for this forum, but that's the point that I'm making. This person exhibited exactly what it is, in my view, that's plaguing America's racial struggle right now. It's the the, the idea, special treatment. No, she wasn't trying to give me special treatment uh, because I'm black and perhaps because she was black. I think it was just because she just decided she was, you know, was going to start where she was. And when I called her on it, she didn't like that. What took place in this grocery store against the backdrop of what's been going on in this country is simply unacceptable. And people, regardless of what station they are in life, have to understand what it feels like not to matter. I don't care if you're a grocery store clerk or if you're uh, an an astrophysicist. You have to understand that. Well, here's here's getting back to the original point about has anything really changed. Um, I think people are now more aware, maybe not of that type of um, alleged injustice that you're talking about, but of the the bigger things that are going on. if, if you go back to um, all these in- incidences that we've had over the last several years, they do attract attention for a while and then it kind of dissipates and they do attract attention for a while. Then it kind of dissipates. I, I just, I, I think this, this one is going to endure partly because it was on the news, radio, television, pretty much every day for almost a year. 
And how many times have we seen that video? How many times have we heard the experts talk on, on cable news, on radio, um, read news accounts? I, I just think it, it, this, this has had legs that the other stories that are like this didn't have. Um, and I, you know, may, mostly because of that video, uh, mostly because of the, it was not a quick, a guy used a gun because he panicked or the, that bad police officer who used thought she had her taser instead of a revolver. I mean, that's, that's terrible policing, but this was not an accident. This was an on purpose. Uh, there's no doubt about that. There was no need. He, uh, Mr. Floyd had already given up uh, and he was just trying to live. And I, th- I think, you know, people are not, I, I, people are not cold hearted to that. And I think, you know, I, I just, that image has been burned into my memory like like few things have. And I know it, it, I'm sure it has been for you as well. And I think for most of the country. Well, Chris, you know that. Yes. I mean, I have worked day and night since June 9th of 2020 on this program. I mean, and literally in some days, 18 hours on this this project. And the objective of this project was to start some dialogue so people could right. move, move forward on this. So I understand what you're saying about, you know, what took place. And I understand that this is bigger than an incident in a supermarket with a guy who gets some special treatment and rejects it because of uh, his principles. But, you know, to me, um, it's those principles that people like Derek Chauvin don't honor. It's principles like that, that people who killed uh, Ahmaud Arbery or Breonna Taylor may not necessarily understand or be aware of and don't honor. Today, what I'm looking at is next week, next month, next year, I can pretty much guarantee you we're going to have a similar situation going on somewhere in this country because of the 300 plus million people here there. We don't have a majority of people thinking like you and I think another part of the problem is um, a large majority of people of color aren't listening to this program. I wish they were. And I'm working on that and we're working on that. But there are a lot of people out there who are off in their own worlds and because of their, their stations in life may not have the opportunity or the ability to, to sit down and plug into what's going on in the mainstream media that you're talking about, these, you know, these, these stations that have carried all of this, 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 this content regarding this. So this is all about people's, people's, people internally. What are people doing? What do people know internally? And this is the thing that I'm hopeful that somehow we can make some 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 progress on and, and when we make some progress on that then I'll, I, I, I maybe I'll get emotional maybe I'll be optimistic about it but I'm just wondering and hoping when people because there have been people that have deliberately since this verdict came out tried to gain the system tried to play it using how? it in situations to gain sympathy for themselves how how can you give me an example i could but i don't want to indict anybody because oh i mean i mean i didn't get, i don't want you to name names i just but i'm just going to say to you there are people who are out there that i know and some of them maybe you know too that have been talking about how bad this episode was and how much 
this means, this verdict means, to stopping the injustice against people across the country, people of color, when some of these people have engaged in some of those isms that we talked about earlier in the year when this program started that are the underpinning or the foundation of racism, some of those very people who've engaged in that kind of behavior, unbeknownst to the general public, but known to us and me and some of us, I should say, they do the same things themselves. So when those kinds of people stop talking, talk, and start doing the work that's necessary to change themselves and to, to help change this country, then I'll have a different view on it. And no, well, I'm not. Can I, no, can I just make the just, suggestion that perhaps me, they've let me, been in Let me just finish my point. I'm not perfect. And I, am, I have no right and, and am not in any position to judge anyone. But I am in a position to say what I see and to call it like I see it. Okay, so my question is, isn't it possible that those people you're referring to have been enlightened by what they've seen with this trial? Well, that's the point that I just made. When I see the difference, when I see a difference in them, then yes. You know, I'll, I'll, I could perhaps join you in your, <laughs> in your relation over what's taking place. But this is the same kind of thing from some of these folks that we've seen before. And I don't want to sound bitter here. I just want to sound real. You know, we have to get to a point where people are actually doing the right thing and not talking about doing the right thing only. That's all I'm saying. Okay, well, we've certainly given everybody fodder to talk about, and that's that's the point. We keep saying you got to talk to each other, and if something that we have said on this podcast gets you talking with somebody else, then we've done a little bit of the work that J.J. refers to. we got more of it to do as we uh, continue, so stick around here on Colors. You're listening to Colors. My name is Shelby Steele. I never give my ethnicity. I am located at the moment in Encino, California, Los Angeles area. I won't say there's absolutely no racism. There is, there is, and and some of it's very subtle. Um, But today, black Americans are faced with with something we've never been faced with before. That is not only the the freedom that we never had, but the goodwill of the American people. The American people want us to do well, to overcome all of the problems of underdevelopment that four centuries of oppression left us with. The country is rooting for us. They're not discriminating against us. They're not trying to keep us down. This is a new variable that we somehow refuse to take into account as we think about race today. But it's the overwhelming variable. The problem we have with with freedom is that it's frightening. It scares you. Human beings, it's not easy to be free. A lot of things that you could take for granted before, you can't. Once you are free, you become responsible for them. In order to hide from that responsibility or to avoid it, which also is very natural and human. Um, we say racism is still here. We we even lavishly invent, um, reinvent racism. Now it's systemic racism. This is Colors, a dialogue on race in America. Well, here's something we don't uh, usually do. Um, I guess we'll call this a movie review. JJ and I independently watched the same movie called One Night in Miami, and we both really, really liked it. Um, So for those of you who don't know, it's a fictional story. I wish it were true, but it's a fictional story about Cassius Clay, 
uh, the great singer Sam Cooke, the running back Jim Brown of the Cleveland Browns, and Malcolm X, all uh, well, they're coming to watch Cassius Clay fight in Miami and then hang out together for the night. And a lot of stuff happens. And uh, it's, it's a very, very interesting movie. And, uh, and you know, I, so you talk about tears. Uh, I'm a, I'm a, I think I'm a bigger sucker than you are for getting my tears jerked out of me. But um, the way it ends with Sam Cooke singing that song, and I don't want to spoil it for everybody else, but uh, I started sobbing. I mean, it's just... Uh, uh, Wow. I, I, I thought it was it was a great movie. How about what do you think? Well, for me, you know, all four of those people represented heroes to me in, in, in my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, starting with Sam Cooke, he was, you know, my parents favorite gospel singer when he was with a group called the Soul Steerers. Uh, and I recall, you know, him going, essentially crossing over and doing his. R&B thing, watching my parents sort of in a sort of a disappointed way think that they had lost him. Well, not long after that, they had. As you know, he died not long. He was the, he was the first to die of that group, believe it or not. I mean, he, yeah. he died before Malcolm X. Yeah, he did. And that's the other part of this I wanted to mention. The story of Malcolm X I have known and seen in movies and read, but this particular movie is a testament to the genius of Regina King who put this together, made me very, very disturbed because I had never really thought about what Malcolm X must have felt like realizing for months and many months that he was being watched and, you know, at, in, near the end of his life, flinching when he walked around corners. And, you know, there's... Uh, yeah, he and his, yes, his personality in this was not the one you expect because no. the one that we have seen you know, speeches by is that, you know, he's this thunderous voice and this strong leader and all that, but he was scared to death because he knew they were, they were going to, they were coming after him. Honestly, that that's similar to what happened with Dr. King. I mean, he also knew there was a target on him. He predicted his own death. Yes. So, you know, the other two, um, Cassius Clay, later Muhammad Ali, you know, I ran into him at the Mayflower hotel in 1991, two, three, something like that. And he was just standing there by himself, just like a regular guy. No entourage, no guards, no nothing. I walked up to him and asked him for his autograph, and he said, absolutely. He gave it to me. I went about my business. Jim Brown, I have never met him, heard lots about him, seen him play, watched those old football uh, games where he played, and there's never been anybody like him, and there never will be anybody else like him. But he's got this spot in him that I can just sense I, he's got this, this, this empathetic spot in him that I believe at some point in time was a major, major factor in his success. And if I were going to give a, um, an Academy award for a cameo performance, and I don't want to say anything about it other than the scene with Bo Bridges is (laughs) one of the really powerful scenes I've ever seen in a movie. Yeah. And I just let it go as that because I don't want to spoil it for anybody, but I did not see that coming. And boy, the, the jaws were dropping in the core household. Yeah. And that's what I'm getting at with that empathetic piece, you know, before what happened that you're referring to happened, 
the empathy that he had, that Jim Brown had, to, yeah, end, yeah. to end up in that situation, which, and I'm just going to say this, doesn't turn out <laughs> the way I would hope it does. <laughs> I'll just leave it there. All right. I'm Chris Core, and I'm white. I'm J.J. Green, and I'm black. And this is Colors. If you have any thoughts or comments or questions about the show or perhaps a topic you want to suggest or a guest, you can reach us at thecolorspodcast at gmail.com. That's thecolorspodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Coming up in our next episode of Colors. Burlington, Vermont is more than 80% white. The last time... I was called the N-word was in 1996 in Mankato, Minnesota, and I remember it because you remember stuff like that. Here in Vermont is more a frequent uh, word that is tossed in my direction. Taisha Green, as you may have surmised, is an African-American, and she's not just a resident of Burlington, Vermont. She is the Director of Racial Equity, Inclusion, and Belonging for the city. I get a lot of support from white community members. But I would say 20 to 30 percent of the time, I get very negative comments from the white community um, who don't appreciate my my presence in their state. Like it or not, she's there to stay. That's coming up in our next episode of Colors. Well, it's time to go again. And as usual, we want to thank some people. Cortland Cox, Matt Small, Ian Crawford, Hillary Howard, Mike Jakaitis, Dimitri Sotis, Audrey Henson, Roz Whitaker-Heck, Joby Warwick, Sean Anderson, Julia Ziegler, Joel Oxley, Craig Schwab, Melissa Howell, Stephanie Gaines-Bryan, Thomas Warren, the Core family, the Green family, and the WTOP social team. And for the music, Jesse Gallagher and Cosmic. And most of all, thanks to you for listening. And as always, remember, keep talking to each other. And just as important, keep listening to each other. You can subscribe to Colors on Apple, Spotify, Podcast One, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Colors, a dialogue on race in America.